0: From the fifth quarter studios in Madison, Wisconsin, you're listening to Coach Unplugged. And now, your host, Steve Collins. All right. We talked to Coach last week about kind of building a program. This week, we're going to talk to him about. kind of his pressure is two two one and again we're gonna spend a couple of days on this this is part one of two parts you know let's talk about our two sponsors before we jump into that first of all dr dish you know talk for no other reason their training management system is unbelievable their ability to keep their Keep your players accountable to, for them to be able to do it on their phone, to keep track of makes and misses. It is unbelievable. Go over and check it out. Mention Coach Unplugged. They'll give you $350 off. $350 off. Holy cow. Um, and then also go over and check out tubes.com for coaches who want to get better. Let me, let me keep the lights on, man. Let me take my wife out to dinner. You know, if you like these things, it'd be nice. Come over and check it out. We're going to be increasing prices by about 25% over the next month. So if you're thinking of getting in, now is the time. You'll, your price will be set for life. Uh, yeah, let's head off to the podcast. All right. Welcome to Coach Unplugged. Coach, you're probably going to be in the 700s by the time this thing gets posted. I think we're in the late 600s right now. All right. Um, so yeah, so let's be good. I've done a lot of these. So I think, it, I think it was 2015 is when I started doing these podcasts. But anyway, uh, so Bert, I'm going to have you introduce yourself, kind of what I, what I like, to have people do is kind of tell us about your basketball journey kind of where it started you told me that a little bit before we came on air about that and then how we got to the point where you're sitting where you are right now. And then we'll, uh, we'll dive into a couple other things after that. Turning it over to you.
1: Really, my basketball journey started in the Midwest. I lived in a small town in Illinois, but it was right. It's uh, right by Terre Haute, Indiana. So I grew up on the Illinois-Indiana border. You know, That's such a basketball crazy world. And there's so many historic gems. And yeah. my first grade teacher had been uh, Steve Alford's babysitter. So I went and watched Steve Alford play in high school. Oh, so Uh,
0: Newcastle, Newcastle.
1: Biggest high school gym, I think at the time. I don't, I'm not sure if it still is, but you know, his dad was his coach and, you know, I was living there. French Lake wasn't too far away. My dad did some grad work, Indiana State when Larry Bird was there. And then he did more grad work uh, in 81 uh, when Indiana won. I was in a really good basketball environment really from the get-go the Big Ten was really really strong Um, you know Michigan was really good Illinois was really good back then with uh, Derek Harper and and some some people like that from way back but we moved to we moved to California grandfather lived out there and his next door neighbor was the trainer for the San Diego Clippers uh, when okay. they were still in San Diego. And so, um, you know, I got to see, I had Bill Walton lift me up in their driveway when I was a kid. And, you know, I got to just see a lot of cool things. And I just figured that's the way everybody grew up because I was right. so young. I, I had no idea uh, that we moved here to South Carolina. And at that time, the ACC was really, really good. And so those were, that was in the mid eighties. And so Michael Jordan had just won uh, his championship there in 82, then Balvano in 80, then Duke started coming along by 85 and 86, and Clemson is right by us, and Clemson had uh, Eldon Campbell and Uh, Horace Grant and Dale Davis and a lot of good players and so I I just grew up in a lot of good areas for basketball Um, so I started coaching when I was in college I started coaching uh, a middle school team Um, and then I did that all the way through college and right right when I got out and uh, the middle school I was at was affiliated with the same school where where Kevin Garnett went to um, Malden okay so yep just being around Kevin Garnett, you know, he's – we're watching the last dance right now and seeing how competitive Michael Jordan is, and, you know, anybody in the NBA will tell you that Kevin Garnett's the only one that really rivals Michael Jordan. They, they even put him over Kobe Bryant for the kind of uh, competitiveness that he – that he brought. And it was cool to be around that. Um, so I, I, I did that. And then I, I got my first high school job in Washington, D.C. Uh, then I came back here to South Carolina to Malden High School coach for a little while. I got to start a program in Atlanta. Uh, by year three, we made our first final four. We made five final fours in a row. And during that stretch, I won three straight state championship. Um, and then through that, I got this job in college. So that's kind of a fairly quick overview of how I got to where I'm and at. tell people
0: where you are right now.
1: I'm in Greenville, South Carolina. It was Zion williamson was from right around this area. In fact, he had to play a couple of games at our at our facility because he blew up so much in senior year.
0: We came. We played in a tournament down there. Is there? Is there like Dunham or St. Uh, yeah, Dorman. The State yeah. Dorman uh, State Farm. Yeah, Classic. yeah. That that gym's huge.
1: Yeah, yeah that's yeah, like an arena. Right, bias. Yeah, that's that's better than a lot of college gyms
0: it is and it's i i, I swear they had like a chick-fil-a inside their cafeteria like yeah, they do they it's do. like how does that work <laughs> my guys are looking at me like what do you and then we went okay so you're gonna remind me because there was a place where we went to get seafood
1: oh man
0: you know what i'm talking about and it, it had yeah. hot uh, and it was kind of you lined up and you got the food and they pounded it into a big oh i don't remember the name of it the um, beacon the
1: beacon
0: the beacon yep and the boys started they had like contests on hot sauce that was not a good idea no luckily no. it was the between games i think but oh the food was really good i mean they they mounted it on top of, yeah. of the beacon i do remember it was the it's beacon it's bad
1: for your arteries but good for your good for your palate
0: yeah 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 good for your wallet too because it was, it was right. pretty good. yeah yeah all right so let's uh let's let's have you share your screen let's talk two to and do you run the do you run the two two one?
1: so where i'm at now this is my my third year at the college uh level here and I'm just this this year is my first year where I was able to uh, start to have some guys that could press and so I I was Almost one hundred percent divided. I had five seniors and six freshmen. And okay.
0: <laughs> so And tell we, me about the school. Tell me a little bit about Bob Jones.
1: Um private Christian school, okay. uh, the, the sports program is pretty new. Uh, we are we are considered provisional D three because it's a couple year process, but you know, we're we're to the point where you can we can have the logos on the floor and we can, you know. We compete against other D3, but we're not eligible for postseason play yet or anything like that. And so we're in this part of the country. It's not like where you're at we're the only d3 in south carolina so so the rest are there's a lot of d2s and nai schools around but we're the only d3 so all of our games will will be out of state when that happens and what
0: that's crazy like wisconsin doesn't have any d2 (laughs) wisconsin has zero d2s no no that's wrong parkside's a d2 they have one they have one d2 but minnesota has tons of that's funny yeah that's, that's interesting how you know, naia in division two is more than than d3 yeah like the, the WEAC could almost be d2 and our uh they're so good the WEAC's very good like without yeah. caution
1: i mean you think of all the good coaches that have come out of wisconsin d3 you know bruce Dick per-
0: bennett you know yeah. bo ryan you know yeah, yeah oh yeah okay so uh the two-two-one. So let's talk about the two-two-one 2, two one and the stunts. So you, go ahead. I'll just, I'll be quiet and you go ahead and talk.
1: You know, uh, my philosophy for my team is to have a player-led team. And I think that, you know, hopefully we have a chance to talk about program building a little bit later, but I think, you know, everything you do is based on your philosophy. And I don't think that you can have a player-led team in one respect, but then not let them lead in another respect. And so the way we play our offense, which is if you were to look at it, you would say it's dri- Dribble drive, but it's really like the next the next version of of dribble drive, uh, where there's a lot more passing and, and quick movement. And then I think with defense, it's the same thing. Um, I think especially with pressing, you can teach your guys to read situations and i call it our motion defense you know you want to take yourself out of the equation as much as possible basketball doesn't lend itself to a lot of stoppages and and correcting like a lot of coaches like to do in practice and so you know if you're going to have this philosophy then you need to run your practices that way. You need to let your players lead the practice. My my players lead the first almost 30 minutes of practice without us saying anything. They just know what to do and they get after it. And is that and the
0: same is that the same for every practice or does that change?
1: Uh almost every practice. Um you know, sometimes it might I mean the later you get in the year, the more you don't really need to do that, but I want them, coaches talk about, man, we, we keep getting off to a slow start. And I think the way you practice every day affects how you how you play on game day. And so, you know, we, we do 10 minute jump rope before we get on the court. And then we get on the court and they, they get right into a pressing game or a special situation, whatever we've dictated for that day. You know, we don't stop anything during that time. We just film it and, and we address it later. But I, I feel like since we can't stop it during a game and fix it, we can't stop it during practice and fix it. Obviously we do in the first week or two, but uh, as we get going, I want them to jump rope and then get right to playing. And then, you know, during that first water break, we do some dynamic stretching and we do some talking about what we just did practice wise. But I feel like getting right into it. If you're going to be a pressing team and a player-led team I feel like that starts with when they walk on the floor you can't get them together have a little huddle go through dynamic stretching do some shooting drills and then expect to play awesome from the get-go when the went in a game situation I just don't think those two things are congruent everything stems from our philosophy you know I sent you this if anybody yep. wants this you can yeah I'll
0: put it in the show notes too when it okay. goes out I'll put it in the show notes so people
1: can... I am uh I'm creating a a course uh to explain some of this and have some video of this on coach tube so you know if you or anybody wants to look at that I'm not done with it yet but break the other team's practice habits I mean I learned that from Morgan Wooten when I first started coaching it all comes down to that and all of us know the personalities of the coaches in our league and most of the people that we play you know what you need to take away right now before you ever go into the season next year most of us if we're doing our job, should know our opponents well enough where you know what it looks like in your practice to take away the other team's practice habits. All the things that are in this press, you could never do all in one year. If you pick some things that you know your league well enough to do, you know, you can really mess with some people and break their practice habits if you pick the right things that fit your guys and fit what you're trying to take away from your opponent. You know, it helps your defense be more aggressive and communicate. I teach my press before I teach my half-court shell. I just feel like my shell goes so much quicker and there's so much more tuned into it when I've already taught my press first. Because it's so, an easier
0: sell, probably. Right. Right. They all want to press and run, yeah. And
1: so all I'm trying to do is build their mentality for the first couple of weeks. And part of building that mentality, um, you know, I'm not to the point where I'm at right now where, we have enough, where we've had enough games built up to do this, but at high school, you know, I would have how many tools? Times we held somebody to under 50 points or how many times, you know, we beat somebody by whatever whatever my goals were. And I posted that, you know, at the at the baseline on the court on the wall there. And so the opponents had to see that we just held our last four teams to 46 points or something like that. You know, it was all about just building, you know, what was important to us and building that pressing, pressing habit. It's more a mentality than anything. You know, you can teach half-court defense pretty quickly, I think, if you've taught the full-court defense well. And so number eight down there, my half-court goal, or really my defensive goal, is to 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 make them cross half court on the outer third across uh, so by the sideline there and when you do that that helps everybody establish their ball side and weak side early you know at my level you have a, a shot clock and uh, it really t- we're really trying to get people to use a lot of time out of their shot clock before they ever get into anything
0: yeah and the thing is what i tell um for people listening to what i say is you basically want them outside the volleyball lines because most high schools have volleyball lines right so if you get them outside the volleyball lines you're good because most high school courts have a volleyball line and that outer third is outside the volleyball
1: line. And so when it's on the outer third, I want everybody on my team to be on on that half of the court and just make it always look super crowded and the only thing that should ever look remotely open is something 50 feet away and if that pass is able to be made whether we're in a full court press or no matter what we're doing if that pass is able to be made there's no other there's no other problem than the fact that there wasn't enough ball pressure it's an easy thing to to know whose fault it was you know it's just like pressuring the quarterback if the quarterback can see down the field he's going to pick you apart all day you've just got to make that the other team's point guard into the best dribbler ever and not let him pass through your whatever defense you're, you're trying to apply. I choose the 2-2-1 alignment. I, I, I did a call earlier today with a high school program in Texas, and you know what I'm not able to really show when I do this presentation, but I, I like to talk about is Andy Landers was the women's coach at Georgia, and he's got lots of notes that are out there. He's got videos that are out there and all that. But teaching how he teaches man-to-man defense is really where I start. Okay. He's got a guy on the ball, and then the two defenders that are behind the on-ball defender, they're staggering that on-ball defender's shoulders. So the guy, the ball handler, is always looking at the fact that he if, if he dribbles left or he dribbles right, he's going to run into a defender. And when you teach that alignment that way, I think it's really easy to teach any press once uh, you've taught where the de- off-ball defenders need to be in relationship to the ball. Okay. and how you rotate for that. Does that make sense? Yeah. The 2-2-1 alignment, you know, I've coached from middle school up to college now, and I just think the 2-2-1 the alignment is the easiest thing to teach. It gives you the most flexibility for things that you want to do, and I think that you can use it whether you're have whether you coaching girls, uh, whether you're coaching unathletic guys, uh, whatever. For me, the 2-2-1 alignment if I teach that, I can teach any of the stunts that go with it pretty quickly.
0: Have you found that if, let's say I'm not as good as you, can I run it against you? If you're better than me, can I run the 2, two one against you? Like you're more athletic, you got better dribblers, can I, and I'm not quite as athletic, can I run it against you? Yes, okay. you know,
1: you, your pickup point may be different. You see here what I have there on number four, I, I like to put, if I have a, if you have unathletic guys, most most of the time they're probably going to be your bigger guys if they're playing. I don't mind putting them up front front because they make good it's hard to pass out of a trap that a big guy does if he's able to set it.
0: Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. A couple things. First of all, we would love if you would leave a review, subscribe, and like. Those are nice. Um, we'd also love if you came over and joined ttubes.com for coaches who want to get better. I promise you, you'll probably get an email with, from me in a, in a video welcoming you within 24 hours. Also, if you're, um, wanting to help us with hosting fees and those things, and it doesn't cost you anything, you can go down below and uh, hit our, um, affiliate link for Amazon. Every time you go shopping on Amazon, we'll get a small little commission. Um, so that's really easy to do. Also make sure, and I don't mention this a lot, make sure you go over and check out our YouTube channel, Teach Hoops. We put There's thousands of videos over there to kind of help you become a better basketball coach. All right, let's head back to the podcast.
1: But if he gets beat or, you know, if he sets a halfway decent trap, if, you're, if you have two unathletic guys up front, then you have three athletic guys that are good at reading things and they can cover a lot of ground and erase a lot of mistakes. You know, I would rather my big guys get beat 94 feet away from the basket and then have my three, you know, most athletic, quickest guys be able to get back and, and hold the lane if it came to that, or, or be back there for my interceptors. And so I like you know, that idea. One of the things we do, we two two one press off of every free throw. And so whoever whoever is shooting the free throw is the front left of the two two one press. He just knows that he's gonna drop back. So whether we make or miss it, if you think about where a two-two-one picks up. You know that person has to take maybe two or three steps to make or miss. We know that we're right in a press uh, off of a free throw, and it's just you
0: run. Do you run your two, two, one on misses?
1: Uh, I have before. There was a coach uh, out of Louisville sent a lot of people to play for. Patino both at Kentucky and Louisville and I went and spent time with him. And I mean you've really got to spend a lot of time doing it if you're gonna be a team that does it. But I had a team that did it, and one of my teams that went all the way to the championship. You know, we just had a bunch of quick guys. We had nobody big, and that was the only way we were gonna do anything. Do and and so I have done it, uh, but it it takes a lot of time to do it. It takes most right. of your practice time if you're gonna be effective.
0: Yeah, you gotta practice it a lot. That's what I have found too. Yeah. yeah.
1: But it's fun if you have once you get to the point where the guy guys can do it it's really really fun to do
0: yeah if you have a bunch of guard i have found it to be more effective too it's like you and, the, and they're interchangeable in some respects
1: any other questions here you want nope to keep
0: that's good motion okay. nope we can keep going
1: uh just some thoughts with pressing don't get beat the same way twice and <laughs> you know you can
0: i do that on defense i do that in everything there's you should yeah. never you should never i i do it as you should never make the same mistake twice if you're not if you're not hedging on this don't get beat I mean, I give you one mistake, but you shouldn't do the same mistake twice. I do that. I talk about that all the time on both ends of the court. But Right.
1: You know, and so when it comes to scripting practice, you know, I've had two assistants and I've had, you know, one be for the next game and then the other assistant be in charge of the scout for the game after that. And, you know, getting a good idea of what the other team wants to do against our press. And so, you know, you are going to get beat. That's why you have to have some change up and some different looks and what I call stunt. Your team has to get to the point where they know which stunt will take away whatever just beat them. You know, you're not talking about 20 different possible things. There's only a really a couple things that people can do, whether it's bringing four people all the way up to the ball or a one-three-one set, whatever. And if you practice those all the time, your guys will just get used to recognizing it and you know, through film and through practice, they can get, they can understand what, what stunt they need to do and you don't need to call a timeout to fix it. And if you get your team to that point, that really frustrates the other team a lot when your team is making changes on the fly and they don't need you to do it. It sounds like it's difficult if you've never done it, but I would, I would challenge you to try it. If you haven't and just see see how your guys respond short memory if you do get scored on i hate it when we get scored on and we walk and let them get set up if you get scored on obviously if they just scored on you and they were breaking your press they're all they're all right there by the basket and so getting a guy who can inbound it and throw it long like kevin love that is really deflating for them to score and then us be scoring within you know, three to five seconds. And I've had teams be, be really good at that. So in effect, yes, you just scored on us, but we're, we're back up the same point margin. We just were within three to five seconds. So congratulations to you for scoring, but it really didn't do a whole lot to hurt us.
0: The wash. Yes.
1: Right. Number three, you know, you don't get beat because of the type of defense you're playing you get beat because of how you were playing that defense. You know, you'll get fans or administrators, parents saying coach, they just beat you twice with layups you need to get out of the press. Well, we don't we don't get out of half court 2-3 zone or man to man when somebody scores on us twice. It's it's not the defense we're playing, it's how we're playing that. And right. maybe we're the only ones in the entire arena that knows that but, you know, if you gotta do it, you can't listen to what people in the stands say. They've got no idea what they're talking about. If you have a pressing philosophy, in my opinion, Opinion, you need to have it long term. It can't be something you get out of. You know, if we had six or eight points scored on us, that's the point that I would call a timeout. But that that is very rare for that to happen, where I've got six or eight unanswered points. So, like I say, there, number four, you can't be half pregnant because you can't be half pregnant. I don't think you can be a halfway pressing team. And if it doesn't work for a little while, then you go to something else. I really feel like if you want to be a pressing team, players know whether you're doing it halfway or whether you're all sold out to it. And I think they'll be sold out if you're sold out to it. Right. Any press is more effective if you make them cross half court on the left-hand side. Uh, I found that to be really effective on the high school level. You know, if you think about how a lot of 2-2-1 2 one presses are beat, especially the ball goes into the inbounder's right. It comes back to the inbounder, then it's kicked over to the left-hand side. And that's exactly what I want them to do. And so a couple of these stunts that I have here are really just to make that happen. I don't care if they get it in, and I don't care if they go back. I want them to go it to the left. And then somebody who's not used to dribbling really quickly down the left-hand sideline with his left hand, you know, when the time's running, the 10-second clock's running down, all of that. I really feel like that's an undervalued part of pressing that that people don't spend a lot of time on. But when I've had a lot of success, it's it's because uh, a majority of the possessions they've had to cross half court on the left hand side. I like that. Um, every alignment, no matter what press you're doing, everybody every alignment has two trappers, two interceptors, and one basket protector. You know. Yeah, it doesn't matter if
0: you're running the one-two. Too, either. I mean, it's right. insane. It's the same. Yeah, you.
1: Anything yeah. you do, and so if you think about that, you're always going from one job to the to another. You're never just a trapper and a press. If you're a trapper. You're quickly going from being a trapper to being an interceptor, and so the reason I, I, I talk about that is sometimes people think when it's passed out of the trap, my job's done. Now it's up to the rest of my team, and it nothing could be further from the truth. You know, as soon as it's passed out, you get your nose back in front of the ball because you're you're you are the next interceptor. Somebody else is about to be the next trapper. Going from one job to the other is something we practice a lot. Again, that might be undervalued. A lot of people value you know shifts or. Aim- goals or different things like that, but I think what I just said before, crossing on the left-hand side and then going from one job to another. I think those two things have helped even my unathletic teams be able to to press really well. Nothing easy is worth it. Nothing worth it is easy. I, I feel like that's what it is when, when it comes to defense, you know. Trappers, L-trap. Uh, the L-trap is made by the shape of your two trappers. And so the person always in a trap, there's a person who's stopping the forward progress. And then there's somebody that's coming in from the side to close the i call closing the jail cell closing the door there okay and that that person's job is to bring his foot and straddle the other person's foot so it looks like an l if you were looking at it from a from an aerial view i have them cross arms and so above their head it looks like an e and i do that for a couple of reasons
0: you mean what do you mean cross like i'm not sure i'm not yeah. sure i understand what you mean by cross arms
1: <laughs> uh Let me stop share for a second. Okay, I have him do that. So
0: that's the the guy that's trapping does this. Both of them do this. The
1: two guys that are in the trap. If you think about it, it's hard to pass through that if you just pick the ball up, and it's hard for your guys to commit a stupid reach in foul.
0: So they're both doing this with their hands. Okay, there's not there's not space on the side. I I would throw it over your armpit.
1: If they go down below, how how much distance are they going to get on that pass?
0: Yeah, I agree because so okay. my theory here, is always you want to break the, the windows you know there's a window right, above an ear right. window above an ear hips
1: and above so the I, head
0: yeah i agree
1: and so i take i take the most dangerous window away because you I take don't four you, of the, you
0: take three of the windows away right. above the head and both both ears yeah right.
1: and i feel like i don't feel like in any defense you can stop everything and so i stop the what hurts us that pass over us that's long hurts us if you're in a trap and somebody tries to make a close pass, you know, that's not going to hurt us. Why I like, I do that. So you're
0: basically saying you got to pass downward, which is going right. to slow. I like that. I've never thought and, of that.
1: And most right, of the time, most of the time it's a, it's a bounce pass and
0: which is fine. Cause that gives right. me time to recover. I love that. Okay. Right.
1: Bounce passes don't hurt you. So no. you want them to, to pass around you. But never through you, and so I don't. I don't mind if they do that.
0: Well, and you know what I love, Coach, that you just said too is I tell them ninety-five percent of the time. You, I don't want you to steal the ball. I want the guys when That's, I want to steal right. on the pass. Right. High school kids want to like reach and do all. It's like oh my. Ooh. <laughs>
1: it's
0: like no hair, you know, kind of thing. Oh my gosh! Yes. Right. Okay.
1: Um, interceptors, and so you've got your two trappers. We just talked about them, and my last point there is. What you just said, don't steal. It's never the trapper's job to steal. Their job is to trap. That's that's the name of their job. Interceptor's job is to intercept. And so just like you read a quarterback's shoulders, if a quarterback's shoulders are facing down, if he's a right-handed quarterback and he's looking down the right sideline, you know, he's not going to throw it to the left sideline. You know by his shoulders where he's going to pass. Interceptors are constantly asking themselves the question, what is the most likely pass? And then Don Meyer used to talk about the dork press. If the ball get a lot of times, especially in high school, a big guy will inbound it because they don't want the big guy in there uh, receiving it against the press. And if a team gets it back to their dork, I'll lay everybody else off and I'll let that dork bring the ball up the court. We'll we'll try to deny. Everybody else.
0: I so, love that. So then, so you just go man, then at that point. Yeah,
1: and and I don't even have anybody on him. I I have my whoever his defender is, just trying to look for where his most likely pass is. And if you think about it, every team probably has one. And We all have a guy who it would kill us if he was the guy bringing the ball up up. Right. To press every time. So right, and
0: that goes into your scout. Like we, if this guy catches it and I love that
1: and so that may not be politically correct so you may need to come up with another, another <laughs> yeah I'm not thing. sure Dork I'm not sure where Dork would be that's, <laughs> that's funny uh, but Don Meyer wasn't politically correct so no okay. he was not
0: but he was he was a innovator let me tell you
1: yeah I, I got to spend some time with him before before he passed i was fortunate enough to to be a part of his coaching clinics and his coaching school that he used to. i know
0: i uh, i always he always used to hand out all these colored things and i still yeah. find them every once in a while you know it's like i'm well, cleaning stuff out
1: and he's still got he's got a website with all of his handouts on it it's, oh, he does. it's awesome yeah, oh, yeah. so do you want me to go through these uh, sure yeah just go through here. these i want
0: to see the stunts too so this is good yeah
1: okay base press um, I, I do my shifts out of a two, two one a little bit differently. a uh, Yukon when uh, Calhoun was there. the way that they did it is the way that, that I I shift now and who I trap with but it's not always the way that I do it. It just fit my person all this year and I've got some diagrams here while I'll okay. show what I mean. Up is when you know we have one syllable words for everything that we do. I don't think your guys can handle two-syllable words so everything we do is just one one command
0: it's like a dog a dogs can dogs can only hear one syllable so that's That's spot yeah like yeah yeah. so down i love that
1: up is our aggressive and we can trap anywhere uh i prefer most of the time to trap after a half court if i'm in a zone trap uh just because i don't like him to be able to go backwards and make a lot of problems with a shot clock um but that's that's where i'm at now down down is where we're closer to our basket we're defending it's it's really just to take time I'm trying to force that ball reversal that I talked about. I use it with the freak defense. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but you do so many passes uh, where you're in a 2-3 zone and then whatever number you give it uh, after that third or fourth pass, you're in man-to-man. And so we do that a lot, and that takes up a lot of clock. We do that when we play against D1 teams, and it doesn't matter if they know that it's coming. It just it does take time. And if I can get D1's teams to be you know shooting in the last – uh, eight or nine seconds of their clock. You know, the more times I do that, the better. That's helped us stay close against, you know, really superior opponent. Uh, goes are run and jump, which I can do out a man. I can do out of a two, two, one, whatever. And I can do it out of my two, one, two alignment. The number is just what I was talking about with the freak defense after whatever number of passes we go to man. Uh, so we go from down into man after, say, two to three passes. So here's up really aggressive. So I bring, in UConn, I bring the three to trap. X1 and X3 on the sideline there. Most of the time I like X1 and X2 to be my trappers in the 2 one but... But this year, I didn't do it that way.
0: Right. So then how do you stop, like, one – how do you stop, one, just getting the momentum and not throwing it over to two, then, on the sideline?
1: If you were able to see what I start off with a, with that Andy Lander stuff and how I teach the man-to-man defense, X3 is stunting a lot. He's okay. coming up like he's about to trap, and then he's running back down the sideline. Okay.
0: He's, like, and fake Andy, trapping, yeah.
1: Right. And so X3, he's the one that says now. And when he says now – Everybody on the court knows that he's going to trap. I don't care if the ball handler knows it. In fact, I prefer that he knows it. So when when X1, let's say he gets up to that hash mark and he sees that X3 is about to trap him, you know, he wants to get rid of it and throw it to that two, And X5 takes that away. Uh, That's just our our basic uh, aggressive. Again, down is just, you know, we see we're picking up at the top of the three-point circle. We're looking for ball reversals. We're not really looking to do anything. I do this a lot when we're ahead in the second half, and I just want them to, without fouling or anything, without putting my team in a chance to, you know, keep the clock stopped. I want that clock to keep going, and so we just use this as our slowdown offense. So defense. the opposite,
0: the opposite guard in that last one is basically taking the middle away, right? Like sinking in that middle and taking away the five or whoever. That's a one-three-one break. Yeah, breaking right. it with a one-three-one. Okay,
1: go. That's the run and jump, and so you know you're. You're in Forrest Larson area and Eddie Andrist, uh two guys that have done this really, really well. And anything I've got from the run and jump, I've got from those two Wisconsin guys. Right. But, you know, X3 – comes and traps when the ball handler, when he sees the back of the ball handler's head, when the ball handler can't see him coming. Um, and then everybody's on a on a clock, basically. When they see when X three yells, go, everybody knows we're in the running, running trap. Actually, so what's X1? Clock.
0: X1's trying to, keep the the one's trying to keep him on the sideline. Right. Hey, everybody, hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe, like, jump up and down, review, do whatever you got to do. Um, also, go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. Have a great Chumbacasino.com No purchase necessary. Full word prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.